0: Uh, Good morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Ben. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I have the privilege of leading this congregation of City Church. If you're new or visiting, then you're really welcome. I hope that you've enjoyed worshipping God with us. Uh, During this month, we're uh, using January to pray together as a church, and we're taking the opportunity on Sundays to speak about prayer. And today, I want to talk to you about the gap. The gap between what is and what should be. It's the gaps between our hopes or expectations and the reality. It's the difference between the life we thought we'd have and the one that is. Now, I think we can often pretend that that gap doesn't really exist. We want other people to look at us and think, oh, you know, every, everything's good. You know, so in how we speak, uh, in how we act, maybe even on ha- in how we, what we post on social media, Not that I do that personally very much, but we want to give this impression that we're, you know, life's good, everything's going well. But it's often during challenging times where we become more aware of this gap. Let me ask, how do you respond to the challenge of the gap? We can probably all think of a time in our own lives, where something went badly wrong, uh, towards the end of last year, I talked about my friend who took his own life, and it—it's times like that where the pretense of everything's fine, it's all okay, actually, that evaporates, and we we kind of collide with the reality and the challenges of life. We we feel this gap. We observe it between what is and what should be. It can be a place of disappointment, dissatisfaction, and even despair. And I must admit, my own reaction is often willpower and effort. You know, if I'll, I'll work harder. I'll make it happen. I'll do better. We'll do better. We can make the world a better place. That's an admirable aspiration, but the truth is we can't. For all the wonder and beauty and good in the world, there's also evil and sin and brokenness that we can't just wave our magic wand and fix. That is the sad reality of this gap. And the gap should drive us to pray, not so much Praying for what we think should be, but praying what God says should be. Praying and asking him to bring that reality into being. When we, when Jess is over there, when Jess and I first moved to Bristol, I had an expectation of how things would be. I expected breakthrough and success in the church pretty much straight away. Actually, what happened was we went through a lot of change with some major challenges along the way. And we're only now, really, you know, four or five years into being here at the church, beginning to see some of the things that I expected to happen straight away. And God has been doing some amazing things, hasn't he? I thank him for that, for all that he's been doing. We're actually a year now into our vision of Helping Bristol Believe, And later on this morning, I wanna just touch on one of the exciting things that's before us this year. Today, I wanna look again at the life of Daniel that Ash spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And we're gonna look at a particular prayer that he prayed. Daniel has been through a lot. God's people had been conquered and taken into exile in Babylon. Daniel has been serving as a civil servant in that empire, but along the way, do you remember, he's been set up by some jealous rivals because he's been praying to God, and that's been made illegal, and he's been thrown to the lions. And although he was rescued by God, he's living with a huge gap. The reality of his people, exiled from the promised land, no longer enjoying the presence and blessing of God. And as Ash so helpfully said, Daniel had learned to trust God in any and every situation. And in chapter 9, Daniel prays this incredible prayer of longing, standing in the gap between what is and what should be. As we read it, I want you to notice Daniel's incredible ownership of the problem. He owned the sin of the people in disobeying, in the way that they disobeyed God and the full consequences of that sin that had led them into exile. But he longed with all of his heart for what should be a people devoted to God and restored to Jerusalem. So before we look at it, let's pray together. God, we honor you. We thank you for the wonder of being able to come into your presence together as a people this morning. We thank you for your precious word. Please speak to us through it today and let your truth bear fruit in our lives. Please inspire us and provoke us and produce good things in us as we listen to apply and obey your words. Amen. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. The book of Daniel features near the end of the Old Testament, after the prophet Ezekiel, before the shorter books like Hosea, Joel, Amos, etc. Uh, And I'm going to read from the NIV, and we're going to read in little sections, and then I'm going to make comments as we go. And the words are up there on the screen as well. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So here we have Daniel praying again. He'd prayed a lot in chapter 6. What's with him? It's a bit keen, isn't it? Sackcloth, ashes, fasting. all seems a bit keen, don't you think? Why doesn't he write a blog about living your best life or getting everything you ever wanted in 10 easy steps? What is it with prayer? I think it's... He lived a life of prayer. And it wasn't boring or repetitive like some of my prayers can be. It was dynamic, adventurous, even scary at times. And I want us to notice that Daniel was a man of the word. Look at what he says in verse 2. I understood from the scriptures. Daniel had been reading uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And in that book, there's a promise that God would bring his people back from exile after 70 years. Now, at this point, when Daniel's praying, they'd been in exile for nearly 70 years. But Daniel didn't just wait passively for it to happen. He didn't think, well, God's got it. It's going to happen anyway. I don't need to do anything. I'll just wait. That can sound more impressive or more spiritual, can't it? That kind of sense of, I'm just trusting God. I'm leaving it to him. But Daniel prayed the scripture back to God. A bit like, uh, I think it was Julia referenced it about the promises of God and laying hold of them. The truth drove him to his knees and he prayed those promises back to God. That's how... Prayer works. I read about someone I'd never read about before the other day, someone called John Sung, who was, who was a believer in Shanghai about 100 years ago. And he believed prayer was the most important work of the believer. And he defined faith as watching God work while on your knees. Look at what Daniel prays in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God, and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love, sorry, keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel prayed and he confessed. He was totally clear about where the fault lay. Israel had turned its back on God and now they were living with the consequences of breaking their covenant with God. He goes on in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, "'You are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. "'The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem "'and all Israel, both near and far, "'in all the countries where you have scattered us "'because of our unfaithfulness to you, "'we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors "'are covered with shame, Lord, "'because we have sinned against you. "'The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving.'" Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. Do you see Daniel's total ownership of the problem and his identification with his people? He's not playing the blame game. He's not saying, oh, you know, these people, they all turned away from you. But, you know, I'm the only one who's committed. He's concerned about the welfare of all God's people, and he's standing in the gap on their behalf. Sometimes we can also blame God. God, how can you let this happen? Why haven't you intervened? Whereas Daniel never doubts God's goodness and faithfulness. Later on in verse 14, he prays, The Lord our God is righteous in everything that he does. Daniel fully owns how God's people have fallen short, and he prays as if he was personally responsible for all the sin and waywardness that led to the people's exile. Most of it had happened for generations before Daniel was even born. He's so identified with his own people that he names his nation's sins as his own. Again and again, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we've turned away. Isn't that remarkable? An incredible level of ownership, taking responsibility, shouldering the burden and identifying himself as part of the problem. Isn't that so different to how we can live? You know, imagine at work or at home, something goes wrong. It's never our fault, is it? You know, even if we weren't directly involved... We, we want to make sure our boss and those in charge, particularly the people paying the wages, understand, no, no, it was that person's fault, and I, was, I, I voiced my concerns, but they were not heard, and, and then the problem happened. We want to absolutely excuse ourselves from the blame, whereas Daniel would be like, I'm sorry, we messed up. Even if he had nothing to do with the problem, he's owning it, he's saying it went wrong. It was us, he's owning it, he's taking responsibility. I think, I observe in society, fewer and fewer people seem to even say sorry at all. You know, like, oh, I know I was, I know I was supposed to make your wedding cake and your wedding dress, um, but I didn't do it. Rather than, I'm so sorry, you know. It's good, it's good to say sorry, it's good to own up to take responsibility. Sometimes, even if it wasn't your fault, Daniel displays an incredible uh, ability to take responsibility. And it's a remarkable example of confession and repentance. I think I've got so much to learn about that. Again, with, with issues of sin in our lives, we can just wanna gloss over it and kinda pretend it's not there, but he owns it and confesses. And after this prolonged confession, he finally turns to asking God for something. So let's jump down to verse 16, and he says this. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, all our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For, for your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Do you see how Daniel prays? Not on the basis of his or anyone else's righteousness, He prays in verse 18, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. He's basically saying, Lord, look at the state we're in. It's an absolute mess. Have mercy. When we think about the state of Bristol or the UK or the wider world, poverty, suffering, injustice, we could pray similar prayers couldn't we that's looking at the world out there but what about with us just consider for a moment how far you how far short you fall of god's standards because of sin and how much you need his mercy that gap between how we know we should live and how we actually do it can make us feel guilty and condemned and that's why we do silly things like trying to ignore our sin or run away from it but generally denial or escapism only tend to make the issue worse daniel shows us what true confession and repentance looks like we need to understand our own need for mercy Do you need to pray a prayer like Daniel of confession and repentance and invite God to have first place again in your life? I need God's mercy. There isn't a day that goes by where I don't need forgiveness for something. We need mercy. And like we said with the state of the world, people all around us need to understand this mercy that we found. Unlike Daniel, Daniel prays this incredible prayer, but actually we now live and have the privilege of living after the Lord Jesus Christ, who crossed the gap between heaven and earth. Think about the parallels with Daniel. God so identified with the people he had made that he became one of us. He lived a, a human life knowing pain and temptation, yet lived absolutely blamelessly. He's so identified with us that he took all the sins of the world upon himself. And through faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, we can have a restored relationship with God. He has bridged the gap between sinful humanity. And a holy God. In Jesus, we find true mercy and true forgiveness. This is, in fact, how we can then pray, as Jesus taught us, Our Father, because we are now sons and daughters of the living God. So, we, again, like Julia shared in our worship, we come to a Father who loves us who desperately wants to provide for everything that we need. Charles Spurgeon said that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. God allows us the privilege of engaging with his infinite power. I've got a picture of a cement truck that's going to appear. Imagine a small, weak child trying to push the cement truck. They can't do it, can they? It's impossible for them. Then imagine their dad, who happens to be the world's strongest man, appears and comes to push the truck. The dad doesn't say to the child, get out of the way, you you little urchin, you know, and, and push the truck. He says, come on, let's push it. And they push the truck and it moves. That's what prayer is like for us. God doesn't need us. He can do whatever he wants. He spoke everything into being. He flung the stars into space. He sustains everything now by his powerful word. He he could just say to us, you know, Andy, Cheryl, James, Maeve, Henry, Natasha, get out the way and let me do my thing. He doesn't do that. He says, come on, come on. Let's, let's move some things together. That is our privilege of being involved with him. The king of glory includes and involves us in bringing his plans and purposes into being. So what does this mean for us? I believe God is calling us to stand in the gap and pray. Prayer isn't something that we should do, you know, like our spiritual homework. You might, you know, by next week, you need to have read your Bible seven times, you need to have prayed 14 times. No, prayer is not spiritual homework. Prayer is the most appropriate response to the gap between what is and what should be. Prayer is the most appropriate response To the gap between what is and what should be it's the gap between the kind of person we are and the person we want to be it's the gap between the marriage we have and the marriage that we'd love to have it's the gap between where we are as a church and where god wants us to be it's the gap between a city walking away from god or a city full of faith in jesus Prayer is the best thing you can do, and it's definitely the most powerful. It's the means by which we can engage with God. But everything within us will fight against this. Pride will say, you don't need to pray. You've got this. You know, you're, you're, you're a wonderful, kind person. You can just go out and save people. You don't really need to pray about it. It's not easy to humble yourself and ask for God's help. But there's not a sniff of pride in Daniel's prayer, is there? There's absolute humility and contriteness. Another thing that can be a stumbling block to us praying is not believing that prayer is powerful and that. Nothing will really change. You know, I I could spend three hours in prayer, but it won't really do anything. The enemy wants you to believe that prayer is irrelevant, that you're just whispering into thin air. Don't believe the lie. Prayer is powerful, and it is time for us to get serious about prayer. Let me tell you a story. In 1949... On the island of Lewis in the Hebrides, two sisters who were in their 80s, one of them was completely blind, were praying because of the appalling state of their parish. There were no young people coming to church at all, and the sisters were so concerned that they prayed together twice a week on their knees for five or six hours during the night from around 10 in the evening till two or three in the morning. One of the sisters had a vision of the church filled with young people, and she excitedly went and told her church minister. The church ministers then started to gather with the sisters, praying twice a week, and that went on for several weeks. Then as they were praying, one of the deacons read from Psalm 24, that bit about who can ascend the hill of the law, one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And he says, how can we pray for this stuff if we're not right before God? And as he repented, he was overwhelmed by the power of God. Soon after, they invited Duncan Campbell to come to the island for a 10-day mission. And on the evening that he arrived, he went to speak to about 300 people at the church. And And he said it was a fairly normal meeting. But when he'd finished, and was leaving the church building about 11 o'clock, around 600 other people had gathered randomly outside the church building. The Spirit of God had moved and drawn people to the church. And now the church was flooded with people, including about 100 young people. One school teacher lay on the floor praying, oh God, is there mercy for me? That meeting went on until about four in the morning. Don't worry, I don't think we'll go on that long today, unless God wants to do something. And that was the start of an incredible revival that lasted for almost three years. But it all started with two faithful old ladies who, you know, you'd think, oh, what are they going to do? You know, they, they can't make much of a difference. But actually, they fully owned The issue. They identified with their community. They were appalled at the state of things. And they had such a heart for people that they stood in the gap and cried to God for Him to move. And look at what happened. A remarkable transformation. Duncan Campbell said of, of one occasion, I didn't preach. There was no need of preaching. Some of you might be feeling like that this morning. We didn't even sing. I mean, no worship, no sung worship. What's going on? The people were crying to God for mercy. Wouldn't you love God to move like that again? I want to encourage you, every time you experience that feeling of the gap personally, to pray every time you observe the gap because of inequality or injustice, I believe our reaction should be to pray. Pray right then and there and take time each day to pray. Gather with friends to pray about an issue, something that you think, this is not right, something needs to happen. Gather with like-minded people and pray. Pray in your connect groups and don't miss any opportunity we have to gather as a church to pray. That's my hope for when we gather here. We'll be here, uh, no, not in this room, in the small hall on Thursday evening. I think we should have most of the church there. Put being here as the top priority in your diary this week, more important than. Football, more, you know, for James and I, more important than seeing Man United versus Liverpool this afternoon, more important than having your hair or nails done. I know that's very important to some of you. Join me in the gap, and I invite you to come and pray. I believe as we respond to God's call to pray in the gap, we'll see him do amazing things. God's given us this vision of helping Bristol believe through reaching, restoring, and resourcing. And we've been praying for the east of Bristol for a long time. We believe God is uh, leading us to reach that part of the city by starting a site of City Church in Fishponds. And we just wanted to take a moment before we finish to let you know some practicalities about that. So in the survey that we took, In December, 63 adults and children have said that they want to be part of the fishpond site, which is fantastic. That's about 20 people from Bradley Stoke and just over 40 people from Cotton. We're gonna have a practice Sunday in three weeks' time on Sunday, the 9th of February, and then we will be launching properly on the 1st of March. So by the way, if you're one of the people who said, yes, I wanna be part of the Fishpond site, then probably someone's gonna be on the phone or emailing you, asking you to serve. So don't be surprised, embrace it with humility and availability and all that kind of stuff. We're gonna be meeting at Chester Park Junior School and due to what time we can actually get access to the building, That service is going to be at 11 a.m. So if you haven't heard before, Fishpond site is going to meet at 11 a.m. And we've taken the opportunity to just look at how we're doing things across the sites. And we've decided we're going to change the time of our service here at (gasps) Cottom. What? You're messing with church? What? Uh, So we're going to meet slightly earlier at 10 a.m. So if you're a parent of young children, you're going to be doing whoop-de-doop. Um, uh, because, yeah, you don't have to wait so long uh, until church. Um, we hope that will serve you really well. And then it means basically we can preach here uh, when we're traveling and, and then go and preach at Fish Ponds. And then Bradley Stoke is going to run like that, the same preach a week later. So it will, if you were involved in the 9 a.m. service, it will function a bit like that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Um, but please. Let's be praying for Ash and Jess and uh, their team and everyone involved that God would bless them, that we would reach hundreds, maybe even thousands of people in East Bristol in the coming years. As I said before, prayer is the most appropriate response to the gap between what is and what should be. We want vibrant communities of believers across this whole city, don't we? That, there's a big gap at the moment. There's some great churches across Bristol, but there's thousands of people that are not hearing the gospel. Let's pray and ask God to move. We can't do it alone, but we know with God nothing is impossible.